And you, Brittany, are of a certain age where you watch the TV show, right? Where Uncle Bill's on there. Yep. And um, so we did 100 shows. And uh, here we are. And look, you watched them all and you're fine. You're fine. I turned out okay. I know. Sure. I'm a little funny looking, but that's beside the point. No, I, I, I embrace it. That's what I say. <laughs> Welcome to the official TikTok For You podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Broski, and we're going to discuss everything TikTok with the creators who have turned the platform into a global community and cultural phenomenon. If it's in culture, it starts on TikTok. Welcome back to the TikTok's For You podcast. Today, I'm speaking with truly a living legend, one of the most widely recognized scientific minds in pop culture, a nostalgic icon for some, and a palatable science communicator for others. You know him, you love him. It's Bill Nye the Science Guy. Bill, 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 Bill. Oh, we love that song, Brittany. We're kooky <laughs> for that song. We love it. Uh, Bill, it's an absolute honor and a privilege to get to sit down with you. Um, you were one of my favorite parts of elementary and middle school, as I'm sure a lot of people would agree, when that black box TV would be wheeled into the classroom and that theme song would play, uh, we knew we were in for a good time. And um, I think your videos really, from an early age, I started to see education as something that could be fun when it's taught by someone that's passionate about what they're speaking about. So I'll say, what's more fun than learning? Absolutely. You know what's more fun? Taking tests. Yeah, well, taking tests, everybody, is just something you have to get good at. And uh, it's like, I'm sorry, it's just how it is. You just got to put in the hours. And there's other ways to show your intelligence as well. If you're not a good test taker, there are other ways, I would argue. Well, a big problem, changing the subject completely, a big problem we have right now, apparently, is the standardized tests that have been created the last 50 or 60 years have these cultural biases built in mm. that were unintentional. Uh, well, largely unintentional. And so it's excluding people that we we want to include. Sure. It's a solvable problem, people. But I digress from your interview questions. Well, no, that's a good jumping off point. Do you think that that's evolved over the few years, the most recent years, or is it getting worse? Like the GREs and stuff like that? Yeah. The, uh, I don't, in Texas, I'm not an we expert took, on yeah, yeah, we took like the STAR test with two A's. I mean, it's yeah, different yeah. in every state. So how is that even well, well, productive? So, if I were king of the forest, so I'm not, but this has been a long time problem. Now, Texas is hugely influential, influential in education because mm -hmm. it's such a big school system and they buy a lot. I'm not joking, everybody. They buy a lot of textbooks. Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, what goes on in Texas affects everybody in the country and that in knock on fashion affects people in Canada and all over the English speaking world. So uh, Texas is, is uh, important. And when Texas gets this insular attitude about education and how to run, run an electrical grid, uh, yeah. there are problems. So, but also when Texas does wonderful, good things, there are great things and so yeah. on. Work in progress, constant work in progress. I'm proud to be from Texas, but sometimes it's like... <sighs> Where are you from in Texas, Brittany? I know nothing of this. Where are you I've, from? I have family in Dallas and Houston, but I grew up in Dallas. So, you know, I used to work in Victoria. Well, this is my question for you. I was going to say, you have such an interesting and colorful background. Could you give us a brief overview of the Bill Nye uh, uh, education history and also um, professional work endeavors? 
So is it on this podcast, is it like a a tick and talk? Do we have 59 seconds? Do we have more than that? <laughs> um, I just burned through 16. I just burned through 16 seconds. <laughs> We're on a, yeah, pick it up. No, we have all the time in the world. So uh, I grew up in the city of Washington, D.C., in the city limits of Washington. There's a few of us. Uh, and uh, I had an extraordinary physics teacher. And he encouraged me to take the physics AP exam, advanced placement exam, mm -hmm. when these things were new. They were these new things. And I guess it went well enough. So I went, then I went to engineering school at Cornell University. And I got into Cornell, I'm pretty sure, because of some mistake in the admissions department. I think the phone rang and they put the application in the wrong stack. And then there we are. But there, you know, there's some people there that are very knowledgeable with respect to physics and mechanical things. And uh, I would hope. Yeah. And so I, uh, when I was graduated, I got a job at Boeing. I worked at Boeing. And then uh, because my fresh the guy who had been my freshman roommate at this point in our story lived behind me in Ithaca New York in an area called College Town I don't know where they got the idea for that name yeah real smart uh yeah well it's descriptive he said you got to come see this you got to come see this guy and so it was his house had six people living in it they had this extraordinary new technology they had cable television and you got to come see this guy. He's just like you. So they had video running uh, periodically of Steve Martin at All the boarding right. house. Uh, Steve, at the boarding, my boarding house is a nightclub in San Francisco. It's still there. I don't know what's happened during the pandemic, but I got a feeling it'll rev right back up. It's been mm -hmm. there forever. And uh, so then a year later, by what I would call coincidence, uh, Warner Brothers Records sponsored the Steve Martin Lookalike Contest. And I won. I mean, with respect to everybody else who was competing. I would. Now, I won in Seattle. I did not advance beyond Seattle. The guy who ultimately won the whole thing was from Nashville. He could play the banjo. It was like the real deal. That's the, yeah, that's the kicker. This was a national competition? <laughs> oh, I think it was international. I'm pretty sure there were Canadians wow. uh, competing. Yeah. But I, uh, I will just tell the, the listener uh, to the casting of The Tick and the Talk that it is my opinion, which, as I hope you all have come to realize, my opinion is generally correct. I would agree. Uh, yeah, it's my, yeah. That's a joke, everybody. <laughs> That's a joke. That aside, Steve Martin's first two albums, I claim, were so influential how influential were they? They were so influential that after those albums became popular, every city in the U.S. and Canada had at least one stand-up comedy nightclub. Before that, everybody, you may take them for granted now that you, you live in a town where there's the Laugh Factory or uh, the Improv or the Improv 2 or the Upper Improv West Side 3 right. or whatever it is. But... Before that, if you went to a nightclub, there'd be a magician, a juggler, a singer, a couple singers, a group of singers, and maybe a comedian in the middle of it. And then, but after those two albums, in my opinion, everybody uh, had a, every town had a comedy club. And this is where people like uh, Jerry Seinfeld, mm. who was five, ten, seven, or eight years younger than Steve Martin, came along. 
uh, Harry Anderson, A. Whitney Brown, these guys that were just hugely in Carrie, Carrie Snow, people that are hugely influential in comedy came along, came along because of uh, that influence. So anyway, after I won the Seaborn Lookalike Contest in Seattle in this one market in a niche in the 13th television market, mm-hmm. I started trying to do stand-up comedy. And, As an uh, engineer at Boeing. Yeah, so I would work. Uh, at on a drawing board during the day, I was one of the last guys that could work on it or wanted to work on a drawing board. I would work on a drawing board. I'd go home and take a nap, and then I would go to comedy clubs to do so-called open mics. And then after a while, I was asked to be the MC. This is a traditional comedy club. Everybody has an MC, a middle, a middle mm-hmm. act, and then the headliner. Generally, mm-hmm. three people. Not always. Generally. So I would be the MC now and then, then I middled. That was as far as I got. I watched people who were just really good. And you just, wow. You know, you work 45 minutes a day. Right. Uh, but the rest of the day, you try to come up with things that are valuable to the audience. It's really difficult business. But stand-up anyway. Comedy, stand-up comedy is an art form. And I don't think well, a lot of sure. people respect and appreciate that. It's very well, hard. So, well, if you want to get good, so Jerry Seinfeld, this is in the early, early days of this technology, had a very, very small tape recorder, like reel-to-reel tape recorder in his, or very small cassette tape recorder that had reels that he would keep in the pocket of his sport coat. You know, men's sports coats, sport coats or jackets have a pocket on the inside. Mm-hmm. So he'd keep it there. And then during his act, he'd record it. And then the next morning at brunch, uh, you'd meet him at one of the original Starbucks. And he would go over uh, every joke line by line and compare what he said to what he intended to say. And then if he, if he found something good, he'd make a note. If something bombed, he'd make a note. And that's how Crazy. He, a guy like that got to that high level. It's that discipline. It's not just it. They, the idea is to make it look like you're just screwing around. Oh right, like it's but, off the cuff. Yeah. Did you ever get to? Did you ever get to meet Steve Martin, Jerry Seinfeld? Yes, sure. he 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 got Steve Martin got to meet me. Period. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was very nice about it. No, no, he, it was very nice. Um, and I, I met Jerry Seinfeld a couple times over the years in Seattle. I met him. He Ooh. wasn't. We didn't like. We we weren't best buddies or anything. He got to meet me. It was like, that's a joke, everybody. That's irony. He got to meet me. So anyway, I started doing that. And then these guys, the um, head of the NBC affiliate, K-I-N-G-TV, Seattle is in King County. So King TV is the NBC station. This guy, Chuck Jones, wanted to have a, he wanted to have a comedy show, Doug. Everybody's got a comedy show. Let's have a comedy show. So he hired Ross Schaefer, who, was, who won the stand-up comedy competition, which I claim was also a, der- a derivative of those first two albums it's by Steve Martin. Anyway, Ross is still a dear friend of mine, and uh, uh, he hosted the show. Then they hired me to be in a bit, one bit. And I, I claim I was funny, as well as what, Brittany? That's right, funny-looking. Yeah, see, I had a, I had a leg <laughs> up because I was already yeah. right out of funny. I was already Took them right out of my so, mouth. Anyway, so I uh, went along doing these two things. At this point, I had left Boeing 
because uh, my mainly because my boss came up to me and said, "Hey, Bill, we want you to come work on this new airplane. We want you to come." We want you to move off 747 and go to work on this new plane. You know, you're a young engineer full of ideas. Cool. The 767, everybody, which has a couple innovations. I mean, first of all, it's two engines. Like, whoa, instead of four. Anyway, um, well, when do you think that'll fly, Dave? Boss Dave? Oh, you know, 15 years or so. And when you're 22 or three, 15 years sounds like a long flipping time. Sure. So. Uh, I left there and went to a shipyard, and this is where I spent time in Texas, Brittany. I, I worked for a company that made the premier or the one the, the Coast Guard wanted of this boat designed to skim oil slicks. And this is a real, it's a specialized thing. This is a, a boat with a conveyor belt in the front, mm -hmm. and uh, this poly... Um, this polypropylene foam that just laps up the oil works very well. So they had this derivative technology for the oil field for what you might call the oil patch in Texas. And uh, I worked in that for a while, programming these valves and stuff. And it was just, it's just too low tech. It's just, yeah, you guys, this isn't cool. So for me, so then I went to a company called Sunstrand, which makes all the black boxes, all the avionics. And I worked on various black boxes and related products for a while. So I'd work on a drawing board, take a nap, and go to work on this comedy show. And then I quit my job long about, about October 3rd, 1986, approximately. Just guessing. <laughs> I raise a glass on October 3rd every year. Uh, in January of 1987 was when... Um, I did the first science guy on television. Somebody didn't show up. And this is lost in antiquity, you guys. It's funny. This is such a big deal to me. But everybody's not sure exactly who it was. It was either <laughs> um, Eddie Vedder. Uh, You're kidding. No, he was a Seattle guy, and he was going to be a guest on the talk show, right, on okay. this comedy show called Almost Live. I mean, I don't mean to sound flippant about it, but it's the kind of thing that happens. If you have the NBC station in a guy's hometown and he reaches international sure. fame, a lot of times he'll come back and be on the show, right? Yeah. Or it was Geraldo Rivera. And this is in the days when people who had written books would go from town to town and do presentations. This mm -hmm. is before the pandemic, before Zoom. I have a question more so about education and how you see education in America evolving. Do you think that the incorporation of, of social media and these different sorts of platforms that are, as you said, all competing with each other, do you think that that is going to play a part in education in the future? Or oh, yeah. My will goodness. it be the downfall? Of well, this, okay. So just keep in mind that Socrates complained about the youth of today. Sure. In other words, Complaining about the kids today and whatever it is they're into goes way back, people, millennia. With that said, social media are what's going on now. I mean, this is what we're all using. It's how we get around. And, you know, just back in my day, as people might say, <laughs> you had to go to the library and look things up. And this was very time consuming. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a skill. 
that you were encouraged to develop. I don't know how good I ever got at it, but to find information you needed quickly, to find multiple sources, to check your information and so on. So the problem we have now is you can find information, uh, any sort of something important, pick something important. The atomic number of rubidium, sure, you can find that in an instant, in less than a heartbeat. But the problem we have now is information that's wrong is every bit is accessible. And so the skill we need to teach or imbue or encourage or nourish is what the phrase people throw around nowadays, it's a fine phrase, critical thinking. It used to be called, when I was younger, it would have been called logic or re- reasoning ability or reasoning skills. Nowadays, it's called critical thinking. It's fine. Mm-hmm. When somebody tells you something, you have to learn to evaluate whether or not it might be true. So we have a virus that came from a lab in China. Maybe. Did it for real? People aren't exactly sure. And so, uh, or did it for sure not? People aren't sure of that either. And so we have to learn to evaluate the evidence, learn to sort what the wheat from the chaff. So, okay. Brittany, where were we? Have you, did you doze <laughs> off? So I did the... I've been taking notes this whole time. I did. I'm going to quiz uh, the, you later. The very first Science Guy bit ever on television was the household uses of liquid nitrogen. Because, you know, we all have liquid nitrogen around. Of course we're we just, do. Just sitting around. Yeah. And we're all into what? Gastro, what is it? Molecular gastronomy. That's mm. a big cooking fad. All right. It's just, it's liquid nitrogen. All right, you can make ice cream in an instant, or almost an instant. Anyway, it was funny. I claim it was funny. You hit the onion with the knife, it sounds like breaking glass. You, the celery has gone limp. You make it crisp again. You chew the frozen marshmallow, and steam comes out of your nose. Come on, people. It's a crowd pleaser. And so I, I realized kind of in, an, in a moment, that this could be the real deal. And what I wanted to do then was be the next Mr. Wizard. And Mr. Wizard might be an older reference for many of you, but he, I claim Mr. Wizard, a guy named Don Herbert, produced a television show that sent this country to the moon. So Don Herbert, or Mr. Wizard, was a real inspiration to me. He was on, originally on CBS. He did all these cool science demonstrations for a half hour. I thought it was cool. And then uh, I met him. I did. That was, that was really something. I had lunch with him years later. It was, it was really cool. Like a but, dream come true? Well, kind of. I mean, it's, you, know, you know, they say don't meet your heroes. He was yeah. all that. Wow. He was a hero, and he stayed a hero. Love that. Uh, yeah, so uh, anyway, one thing led to another. I met Jim and Aaron, Jim McKenna and Aaron Gottlieb, who worked on a show called Seattle Today. And you don't have to know anything about anything to know what Seattle Today was. Sure. Is. It's a television show for people who are home in the morning. And so they wanted to start their own production company, and they did. And we did a, they hired me, and we did a bit called Fabulous Wetlands. Washington State is so hip. It's so groovy. It's got fish and wildlife. A department of fish and wildlife is fine, but no, there's a department of ecology. And this is in 19, 
88, you guys. And so ecology in Washington state is very important. You know, it's the Western state and people are very concerned about the environment and so on. Mm-hmm. So well, wet, um, wetlands are some of the most important now you're talking phenomena. Brittany, bring it on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Marshes, wetlands, and swamps That's are right. some of yes. the most important things. Bogs. Bogs. Uh, prairies. And, uh, First Nations people, Native Americans, call these certain wetlands prairies. It's a, a different use of the word. Anyway, uh, they soak up floods, they're home to wildlife, mm-hmm. and they filter the water. So it's, just, it's the triple threat. Anyway, we did that, and it became a template for the Science Guy show. So then it took another four years of Jim and Aaron running around the country, taking meetings with the Department of Energy, the National Science Foundation, Boeing, a company called Mm. Orida, Oregon, Idaho, Potatoes. And then we got enough funding to do a pilot in 1992. And this, it emerged at the moment or the, the years that Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife at the time, was really concerned about children's television. And there's something, Tipper Gore really advocated for something called the Children's Television Act, CTA. And you, Brittany, are of a certain age where you watch the TV show, right, where Uncle Bill's on there going on about wetlands or oxygen or whatever he was talking about. And that derived, the, the show was available at sort of this moment in history when funding was available. And um, so we did 100 shows, and uh, here we are. And look, you watched them all, and you're fine. You're fine. I turned out okay. I uh, Sure. I'm a little funny looking, but that's beside the point. No, I, I, I embrace it. That's what I say. <laughs> embrace it. It, was, it really was, I guess, it sounds like this perfect intersection of um, right place, right time. Well, so this is what I tell everybody. People of all ages, they want to, what should I do with my life? My big thing is just get started. Sure. You don't know what's going to happen. Just get started, get out there and start doing something. And one thing will lead to another. I love that. Look Did at you. you. Ever you're think- on a podcast. Pretty soon you're going to have your own uh, production company. Man, well, we could talk later about just the evolution of from being online or growing up on social media to where it, the you know the heights it could possibly take you it really is just unimaginable and it's weird to think that this is how i never thought i'd meet you first of all kind of fangirling hope you don't mind that's fine where, and the word meeting everybody were meeting. on electronic electronicity where are you on earth what i'm in los know? angeles california oh i so am i oh cool but we didn't even know it we didn't even know it no idea. But yeah. it's it's very much, you know, my experience online was completely by accident, depending on how you look at the universe and things, by accident or or was it intentional? Going viral and, you know, developing a following and suddenly you have this platform. It's not so different, I guess, you and I, but the way that we're meeting is via TikTok, via the TikTok podcast. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see this happening? I mean, are you reaching new audiences through your TikTok? Is this just, you know, oh, you're man. trying to... So, yeah, so tell me about the it. The answer is no and yes. Always. So, so TikTok 
has played into my hands. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we had a saying on the Science Guy show, no bit to exceed 49 seconds. Hmm. And uh, you guys, this was a turn of phrase. This was an expression. This was not a hard and fast rule. This was a guideline, not a rule. But what I'm driving at is part of the success of the Science Guy show was how quick everything is, how short everything is. Mm. And people you know, like to complain about kids today, these kids with their TikToking and their phones and so on. Okay, whatever. The attention span. Well, but here's my claim. You watch a regular person, somebody uh, older than you might be, Brittany, uh, in the doctor's office where the stack of magazines is. You watch how often that person turns a page, split. In other words, our attention spans have always been short. Mm. And uh, if you just look out the window and see how long you stare at a single object, you stare a very short amount of time. And so this is just human nature. So when TikTok came along, not to exceed 59 seconds, that's my kind of thing. That's my kind sure. of thing right there. And so uh, the thing that went crazy was the... Um, the thing about masks. Yeah. So you guys, so we did it on the Science Guy show, we did a show about germs, which is very good, very successful. Teachers, educators like that episode. Mm -hmm. Then you may not be aware, I did another show called The Eyes of Nye. I do remember Then that. I did The short. 100 Greatest Discoveries. Well, anyway, we talked about the Spanish flu. We talked about it in 1996. In nineteen in two thousand five, and then in two thousand, I mean, this is from memory now, two thousand eight, but roughly uh, fifteen years, twelve years, whatever. We talked about pandemics, the Spanish flu, and how serious it was, and why people were wearing masks. In nineteen eighteen, this is not a yeah. new idea. Getting vaccinated goes back two hundred years. The word vaccine comes from the word for cow. Vaca, because the first discovery, at least in the West that anybody knows about, was uh, the women go by the uh, job title milkmaids, people who mil women who milked cows who had contracted cowpox. Is that did mad not, cow disease? No, no, no. That's a good question. No, totally different thing. Cowpox, the women who got cowpox, a relatively mild infection, did not get smallpox. Hmm. Somehow, the developing immunity to cowpox gave you an immunity to smallpox. And so the vaccines go back 200 years, people. This is not a new idea. And so, uh, along that line, wearing masks in 1918 proved very effective. So wear a mask. And then you meet people. I'm not going to wear a mask because it's, it's oppression of the communist. Okay. So I did a hilarious, funny, charming video in my kitchen where I blew out candles through masks that were ineffective and could not blow out candles through masks that were effective. Mm -hmm. And that went TikTokically crazy. 15 million views the first well, first couple, well, certainly the first two weeks. Crazy. Yeah. So then I ended up on CBS doing the same demonstration from my kitchen, running a cable across the living room floor to get the 
the uh, what do you call it internet speed high enough all right so now the kids with their electric wires anyway uh uh tiktok is uh you know that's my venue to answer your question i like yeah. it for this yeah. reason however i know i know that watching goats standing on top of other goats is important i know it is <laughs> it is but I don't spend as much time and the cats. The cats are very important because they what are they? They're the cutest. Cute. Yeah. But I don't spend a lot of time with them. That's up that's up for that's for you people. For the you people. people. <laughs> I'm old. I'm you of a people. certain age. Going back to the stand up comedy that you were that you mentioned yes. in the beginning. Have you found that comedy is the best um vessel for teaching? Or is there something that resonates a little better? Well, you can't beat funny. But it, what it, funny does, I hope, is keep people to get people to pay attention. Yeah. I don't know how much, I don't know much how, how much scientific information is successfully conveyed by means of comedy. Uh, but sometimes it's really good. Yeah. Uh, an example of something, I was thinking about this the other day. I didn't write this bit. But I really admire is on the Science Guy show, is on the Emotion show, and you may know, uh, having watched some Science Guy shows, that inertia is a property of matter. You may remember that. So inertia is the tendency of things to keep stay moving. still or to keep moving unless they're acted upon by an outside force. Mm -hmm. So the movers come into the room full of cardboard boxes. Because somebody's moving and they've packed up all these cardboard boxes. And the movers don't start picking the boxes up. They start trying to encourage the boxes to move on their own. Come on, come on, get in the truck. Come on. And it's funny. And I hope you learn something that inertia is a property of matter. The boxes don't get up and move on their own. Right. And if you were to drop them out the window, they would continue moving until they were acted on by an outside force, uh, also known as the ground or somebody's head or what have you. Mm -hmm. So this is an example I, off, the, off the top of my head of where humor might convey some science. But the main thing is to engage people. Mm -hmm. You know, I was brought up, my parents, I always thought my parents were very funny. And uh, humor was valued in my family. And now I digress a little bit, Brittany. People have said to me, countlessly many peoples have come up to me over the years. And these would be largely college students or graduate students, people on their next thing in college, uh, university. Bill, I want to do what you're doing. I want to have a show like yours. I want to do your show. Do you have any advice? And my first thing. Before offering any advice, is try to evaluate if the person is humorous. You know, right. is, does the person have a sense of humor? Because uh, that was that was part of the Science Guy show, man. Mm -hmm. People tr trying to be funny, and the great gift that Jim McKenna and Aaron Gottlieb, the my co-creators, brought to the show was hiring people. Man, they just hired people that shared the sensibility that. It's funny. It's got to be funny. No bit to exceed 49 seconds. And the other mm -hmm. thing about the Science Guy show, which appealed to you and your instructors, was um, uh, 
we did the same thing over and over again. It was repetitive. And mm -hmm. that turns out to be pedagogically, the method of teaching Lee, very valuable. And effective. You, sure. say, you say the same thing over and over again for a half hour, and people have a tendency, often have a tendency to remember it. So the premise of the show, Brittany, was you, the student, the viewer, are watching television, and you have a remote control, and you can change channels. But today, every time you change the channel, it's, a, it's another show about the same topic. Dinosaurs. Mm -hmm. Dino more dinosaurs. Dino fossil plates. Cool. Yeah, it's like... Mm -hmm. It's funny. It was funny. That's my claim. And, Trust me, uh, it was th funny. Well, the other thing about television that I just really emphasize to be talking about television, and to a lesser extent, really lesser extent, TikTok, is it's so intimate. Mm. And by that I mean, well, how about this? You don't hate anyone more than you hate somebody on television. If you hate somebody on television, that person is the most offensive, awful person ever. That guy or gal is right there in your living room. He won't listen to you when you yell at the television. He's just going on and on. You right. just hate that guy. Right. And part of it is, is it the honesty of it. You can't, in my opinion, you can't lie to the viewer. He or she will see whether or not you mean it. And so in the Science Guy show, I, as a guy on camera, the on-camera department, as I call me, the OCD, I am talking to one viewer. I'm looking at the lens, talking to one person, and that's you out there. And that intimacy, as I describe it, was also part of the success of the show. Sure. Do you think, um, kind of more abstract, broad, bird's eye view, humor is crucial or so common, I would say, amongst like scientists or science enthusiasts, because the truth is reality is really bleak. <laughs> Do you need a well, sense of humor to cope? Okay. <laughs> reality is bleak. I Are would you say. In your goth? Are you in your goth phase right now, Brittany? Feel, feeling you... a little angsty on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> Realities, but so to once you um, know and appreciate what I like to call your place in space, mm -hmm. your relationship to the cosmos, the whole thing takes on this magical quality. And I'll I'll just tell you, this is something that Carl a, a quotation that's attributed to Carl Sagan quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But I'm not sure he. I'm really not sure he was the first guy to have this insight. But the way he expressed it was so was articulate. So you and I, ever, everything that you can see is made of the stuff or the dust of exploded stars. So water is H2O, hydrogen and oxygen. Hydrogen is the most common thing in the universe. It's a proton with an electron, all right? The, the, the interstellar void is full of hydrogen or full. There is hydrogen in the interstellar void. The sun is hydrogen. The sun, hydrogen has so much gravity. How much gravity does it have? It's crushed together. Hydrogen fuses to become what generally we'd we call helium, a nucleus with two protons, releases this energy. All right, that happens over and over and over. And then eventually the heat, the fusion energy in the sun overwhelms the gravity and the thing explodes. And this is a supernova. And as it does, these, com these 
protons combine, and when you look at everybody's favorite, the periodic table, the even-numbered elements are more common than the odd-numbered elements. And this is a result of this fusion and explosion. And so, this stuff all comes together by gravity, and then it forms another star, and a little whirlpools of stuff form planets. So you and I are made of stardust, and you and I have figured this out, or our predecessors, our ancestors have figured this out. So you and I are at least one way the universe knows itself. And that to me is profound. That to me is astonishing. And that is empowering and wonderful, humbling, yeah. and fills me with reverence, this insight. So along this line, some people are very troubled by the idea that we are this speck. We are the tiniest speck of stuff in this unimaginably vastness of the universe. In our galaxy, there are 200 billion stars. There are perhaps a thousand times that many galaxies, trillions of galaxies. You're like, if I may, dude, dude. Who am and I? So, exactly. So some people are very troubled by our insignificance in the grand scheme of things. Is that a question of, of human ego, though? Well, but some of us think it's the coolest thing going, that we mm. can understand all this, that we can have the slightest insight into this cosmos is worthy and empowering. Sure. And uh, the other thing I claim you will gain, if you think about this long enough, is we are all in this together. Our speck is pretty specky. There is not, the, the planet is big, but it's not that big. Right. And we are much more alike than we are different. And So uh, true, bestie. And so, yeah, well, and so when, when more of us come to realize this, it is to be hoped. Hope is not a plan. Let's say it's to be expected, even predicted, that we'll get along better. And just, you know, mm -hmm. as screwed up as everything seems to be, Brittany, as, as a much of a mess as everything seems to be, there are actually fewer people living in extreme poverty than ever in human history. There are fewer wars going on involving fewer people than ever in history. Yes, climate change, huge problem. Yes. Sea level rise, huge problem. Displaced populations, huge problem. Inequities, social injustice, huge problems. But things are less bad. Bill, Bill, Bill. Woo. Dare I say it, change the world. You're so right. That is, okay. That is the answer I wanted. So thank you. Right on. <laughs> sure. But feel good about it. But there, I'm not saying there isn't a huge amount to do, and we got to get carbon dioxide out of the air as fast as we can over here, people. And we got to get off fossil fuels. We can't be driving around in gas burning cars anymore. We need clean water for people in Flint, Michigan, and mm -hmm. Zimbabwe, mm -hmm. and internet access in West Virginia and uh, Republic of Congo. Yes, we need to do all that. But and let's go. I got all that. But mm -hmm. be optimistic, man. We're gonna get. We're gonna get her done. Let's go. Exactly. 
That was actually, you took the next two questions literally out of my mouth. So I'm glad we're kind of on the okay, same. Okay, watch out for the word literally. But yes, I, I addressed <laughs> them. No, you yeah. did. Because my, uh, my next question was, can we stop climate change? You kind of touched yeah, on it. Yeah, not, not easily, but yes. It, it is possible. And yes. then the question after that was, are you optimistic about the future? Are you more of a realist? Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, the word realist. Okay. Mm-hmm. My realism gets me very concerned. Right. And it makes me optimistic. See, so the problem has been the fossil fuel industry has been very successful. And the word I throw around all the time is extraordinarily successful mm-hmm. at introducing the idea that scientific uncertainty, plus or minus 2% about the sea surface temperature 10,000 years ago, mm-hmm. is the same as plus or minus 100% doubt about everything associated with climate uh, science. And they have worked so hard at this for 40 years that people have doubts about the veracity or the, the cause of, hum- of climate change, human-caused climate change. And so we got to get past that. And the way we're going to do it is people like you are going to take us past it. The climate change, yes. The climate contrarians, the climate whiners and complainers about the science of climate change, those people are all my age. And we, they, are not going to be in charge in 20 years. You all will be young right. people. And you're going to make change. You're not going to put up with this crap. Right. You're going you're to get things done. You're going to go. Let's go. And so, uh, uh, you know, I was, there was a congressional hearing and uh, we're under pressure here and I can't think of the guy's name. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. he said, I'm not joking, you guys, Greta Thunberg, you know who I mean? Yes. No, we love on- Greta. Was she was on this in this hearing electronically from Sweden? Yeah, it was the it was the evening, late evening in Sweden. But this time of year, the sun's up. You can see in the background. And he said, "Well, what are young people doing about climate change?" And she's in so many gracious, respectful words. What do you mean? What are you? What are you doing? You're the congressman. What? The heck? what? I'm I'm 15. Her. I'm supposed to be right. doing this? No, you're supposed to be doing this, you dingbat. Mm-hmm. Can I use the word dingbat on this podcast? I don't want to Absolutely. shock anyone. But it was just the I was in, I still am head shakingly uh, incredulous. Like, dude, you really don't get it, do you? That because she's complaining about it, it's her it's our fault, old people's fault. Yeah. Well, we have it's- known about climate change for 40 years. Mm-hmm. No, we haven't done a doggone thing about it. Before we wrap up, I do want to say that, you know, TikTok and the younger generations on TikTok, and, and I'm using TikTok obviously because this is the TikTok podcast. Obviously. I have, I have never seen. Nice to hear you finish the word. I thought nowadays we just said obvi. <laughs> Abbe. It's nice to see young, or not even just young people, people my age and people that, you know, have similar thought patterns to me actually invoking change and and creating these movements and and acting upon the things that they have a problem with in the world and it is so inspiring and it's so you know m- touching and moving and to have people like you who 
are on the app, but it's it's a nostalgic way, but it's also such a bright voice uh, to lead some of these movements, you know, especially when it comes to being eco-conscious and all that is um, it's great. I think we're at a great place uh, where technology and and social movements are, inter- are interacting and intersecting. And I just love so- it. Just keep in mind that in the in the case of the Vietnam War, the protests of the Vietnam War, there were these what in those days were called underground newspapers mm-hmm. that were being distributed like crazy. It's, it's in other words, this uh, grassroots or yeah. subversive or outside the mainstream thing is an old idea. I think it's human nature, uh, and this is how these enormous protests were organized. I mean, Washington D.C. the Vietnam War protests. The streets were all shut down because there were people everywhere. It wasn't, yeah. I mean, it was just crowded. It was like the French Quarter as far as the eye could see in Washington. And sure enough, eventually, politicians got the message and clumsily or what have you ended that war. And so keep protesting, young people. You have a huge impact, a huge effect. And this has always been true. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing they do is imprison students or whatever, like um, civil rights movement or whatever the heck it is. Right. So keep it up. But keep in mind also that uh, social activism, uh, would you just use the word climate, what'd you call it? Climate action or something? Yeah. E- eco-conscious, I would describe Eco-conscious. Eco-conscious. So I grew up with this program called Every Litter Bit Hurts. People my age, so the idea was if everybody picks up litter, there would not be litter around. If everyone did his or her part, there would not be litter. And that's a very reasonable thing. Sure. But in the case of climate change, do not be fooled. It is not whether or not you drive a hybrid car, whether or not you're a vegan, whether or not you... uh, Wear dirty clothes because you don't use a washing machine as often as the bad people. Uh, we need huge ideas to address yes. climate change. We need big things. We need sweeping changes. General Motors says we're only going to make electric cars. Ford, during when uh, Elon Musk was host of SNL Saturday Night Live, all the ads were for electric cars. That's the future. But changing all of these vehicles. Hundreds of millions of vehicles to electric that is huge. Yeah. All the electricity we make right now from burning fossil fuels has to be curtailed and replaced with some new kind of uh, way, new way to make electricity. These are huge, huge changes. When people are whining and complaining, should we pr- provide the internet to everybody in the U? Yes. Yes. Should we vaccinate? Yes, vaccinate everybody in the world so that it doesn't mutate and kill us. So you guys, these are huge things. It's not just do-gooder people living in community housing that are going to produce messenger RNA vaccines for COVID-23 or whatever the next pandemic virus is. It's going to take huge ideas, and that is where, Brittany, Two things, or let's go three things I'll say to young people. If you're looking for individual actions, don't waste food. How about that? Let's not waste food. That's true in the developed world, we waste food, and in the developing world where people don't have refrigeration, they end up spoiling food. All right, then two more things. 
talk about climate change, right. if we were talking about climate change, the way we talk about every the goats on TikTok, <laughs> we would be getting stuff done. Everybody right. would be aware and be getting it done. And then the other thing, the main, main, mainest, main, main thing is vote. Everybody, please right. take the environment into account when you vote. Do not just let voting go. Yes, Bill. And now, now the man, many of whom are women, are working just sort of unabashed, not unapologetically, suppressing votes, claiming they're not suppressing votes, but they're suppressing votes. Just mm -hmm. we're going to have to fight that, everybody. We're going to have to go out there with water bottles in Georgia and set them up the night before or something. Like, uh, you're not allowed to give people water when they're standing in line. What the? What are you talking about? <laughs> so, uh, we we've got to vote. Everybody, take the environment. You can hate me. You can hate everything, but take the environment into account when you vote. And we can change the world. And as far as being optimistic about the future, Brittany. Things are changing, and Brittany, you're part of it, and your listeners are part of it. So thanks for having me on the show. Wow. Yeah, this was everything and more. I think that's a great place to wrap up. Bill, I can't thank you enough. This was oh, so yes insightful. You can. Thank you. I can. I'll send you an edible arrangements later. Um, uh, okay, yeah, but you know, I don't eat, I don't eat uh, marijuana. That's for the young people, <laughs> if that's what you mean by edibles. <laughs> edible arrangements are fruit. Okay, good. Fruit okay. and chocolate arranged like I flowers. Do like it's okay. cute. It's uh, very how charming. Cute. It's the cutest. Oh my God, it's the cutest. <laughs> it's literally the cutest. Well, um, if you have anything you're working on right now that you'd like to plug, go ahead. Yes, if not, we'll sure. sign off. Everybody, buy my latest book, The Great Bill Nye's Great Big World of Science. Uh, there's uh, Now, there, it's a pretty big book. There's only eight in a carton. So you'll need a couple of cartons for all your gift needs. Let's see. Uh, the solstice is coming up. You'll want to have yeah. 16 copies for that. Uh, no, I'm kidding. And then I'm working on a new show that was announced in, uh, I guess, in March that'll be out next year called Right Now, the working title right now is The End is Nigh. Oh, I and like so, that. Yeah, so it's about what we're going to do to address these big problems. That's what the show is about. Can't wait. Well, thank you again. Let's change the world. That's it for this week's episode of For You. Share the love and keep the conversation going online. Leave us a review. Follow us on TikTok at, at TikTok and at TikTok Creators. Don't forget to use the hashtag For You Podcast. And remember to subscribe so you're notified every time we drop a new episode. Catch new episodes every week exclusively on TikTok Live, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever y'all get your podcasts. I don't know. For You is a TikTok and Gallery Media Group original production.